One of the reasons that you're either A, not thinking about the Bible, or B, you're rejecting the Bible, is because you live in a world with competing worldviews. Now, here's what a worldview is. It's a way to look at the world. All of you have a way you look at the world. You agree with that? Do all your friends have a way they look at the world? Yeah, they all do. Everybody's got a worldview. Everybody's got a way that they're looking at the world. So I'm going to throw some big words out there. I'm going to define them. I don't care if you write the big words down or if you remember the big words. Here's the biggest worldview influencing the world you live in. It's called pluralism. Pluralism. Pluralism means this. There are multiple truths or, or on a negative sense, what would pluralism ultimately say? There is no truth. There is no truth. There are the multiple truths, little t's, or there's no truth at all. You can't arrive at truth. Now, when I was coming along growing up, that was not the dominant worldview. So things have shifted really quickly in 25 years. When I was growing up, now this is still there. Most of your teachers in school, unless they're in their 30s and hip and cool, they're probably think pluralistically. The, the major worldview part of that was rationalism. Rationalism said this, if it can be logically and factually proven, then it's true. But if you can't logically and factually prove it, then it cannot be true. You, you got to throw it out. You got to get rid of it. In the church, I don't know what kind of church you come from. If those of you who, who, who don't go to Parkwood or if you've been exposed to church, my early exposure to the church was a church that came from a worldview of liberalism. Now, here's what liberalism is. It's very similar to pluralism, but liberalism says you interpret the Bible as you see fit as long as, and people, people miss this part, as long as you don't violate the basic ethic of the Bible. So there's a baseline. Does anybody know what the baseline ethic of the Bible is or who it is? Here, I'll give you a hint. It's the reason you have red letters in your Bible. So it's Jesus or what Jesus said. So what Jesus said is the baseline. So that's why in a liberal Bible, the only thing a liberal, that's where the red letters came from, is to say that's the only thing you can bank on that's true, is what's read. So liberalism, that's still influencing. A lot of you in here, though, I would argue are existentialists. There's a great existential song. I heard it in uh, uh, Jimmy John's On My Way to the Beach. Happiness is the... You don't even know the word. You, you, if I played this song right now, you'd jump right into it. Happiness is the truth. So what that, what that song means is your moment of existing that you're happy. That's true. So we're at, however you arrive at that, however you arrive at an experience, then, that, then that's truth. Now, here's a mistake a lot of youth groups do. They, they create hype. So you come and you get hyped up and you sing and you get emotional and you create an experience and then that experience becomes your spiritual truth. We don't want to do that. Now, we don't want to avoid emotion. Emotion is a biblical thing. We want you to arrive at 
the truth. Now, here's how we're going to do it. It's through the authority of Scripture. This is our starting point. This is our baseline. So this is the worldview in which I'm coming from. If you're not there yet, don't. I, I, I'm, that's okay. I'm not shook by that. All right? I, it, doesn't, it, it doesn't change anything about what I'm going to say. The authority of Scripture, I have it defined for you here. The authority of Scripture means that all the words in Scripture are God's words in such a way that to disbelieve or disobey any word of Scripture is to disbelieve or disobey God. Now, you got to have that whole sentence. So some of you, when, when, when I ask you to define the Bible, you are pretty close to the beginning part. The Bible is God's word or God's words. Now, this has implications. It's, it's that all the words of Scripture are God's words in such a way that if you don't believe them or you disobey them, then ultimately you are disbelieving and you're disobeying God. Now, here's what I want us to get. The very distinct nature of the Bible. Everybody, People will say, because you live in a pluralistic world, that the Bible's just like the fill-in-the-blank. It's just like the what? The Quran or, give me another one. The Torah. Torah is actually in the Bible. But anyway, that's all right. Give me another. Give me another book. All right, Hadith. What? Book of Mormon. All right. So they're all the same. Listen, the Bible is distinct because the Bible claims its own authority. The Bible testifies to its own authority. In John 17, 17, it says, Sanctify them in the truth. We're not going to deal with the principle there. We're going to deal with the end of this. Your word is truth. So what part of speech is truth there? Sorry, a little English there. What? Somebody said it. It's a noun. Most of your brains went to not a noun, but a adjective. Most of you in your brain went, the Bible is true. It's not what the Bible says. Because if the Bible only said it's true, then it opens a door that part of it could not be true. Now, this is what I got exposed to my freshman year of college. It absolutely blew my mind. The professor stood up and said, the Bible contains God's words. I thought, well, that sounds fine. Then I discovered as the weeks went on, that more and more of the Bible he was showing us were not God's words, that only parts of it were God's words. And the more the semester went on, I discovered that Dr. Smiley, it was actually his name, Dr. Smiley, he never smiled, by the way, that the parts Dr. Smiley didn't like were never God's words. The parts he liked were always God's words. The Bible does not make that claim. The Bible makes this claim. Your word is truth. Now, I'm going to read from John Piper. By the way, that video that cut short, that was, that was John Piper reading. I'm going to read this introduction. This is the very first paragraph of this book he wrote about the Bible. Is the Bible true? I'm not asking if there is any truth in it. Say the way there's truth in Moby Dick, Plato's Republic, or the Lord of the Rings. Do you agree with that? If you've been exposed to those books, there's truth in those books, right? So he's saying, I'm not asking is there truth in it in that way. Aspects of truth can be found virtually everywhere. What I'm asking is this. Is the Bible completely true? All of it. 
Is it so trustworthy that it, in all that it teaches, that it can function as the test to all other claims to truth? This book, and I would argue what I'm teaching this week, is about how the Bible gives grounds for the answer, yes. The Bible is completely true. So here's what I'm trying to accomplish for you this week. It's not just that you can be a good little evangelical who goes sits in your freshman religion class and says, the Bible's truth. I want you to be able to intelligently, with your brain and your Bible, be able to answer why you make that statement, why you can make a statement to say that the Bible is truth. All right. Truth, this is a quote from Wayne Grudem's in your book, truth is what God says. And we have what God says accurately, but not exhaustively in the Bible. All right, let's interact a little bit. What does Grudem mean here? We have what God has said accurately, but not exhaustively. It means God has not addressed what? Everything. So there are legitimate questions that we're going to raise that the Bible does not directly answer. That does not mean that the Bible's not truth. God has given us accurately everything that we need. One of the things we're going to talk about is the sufficiency of Scripture in a few days. Now, this is what you're going to get attacked when you get to college. That the Bible is self-attesting. That's a big word. Self-attesting. That means that the Bible is saying there is no higher authority. The Bible is saying this is the authority. Now, here's the dilemma. If that's not true, if the Bible is not the highest authority, if it's not self-attesting, then what else is true? Then, therefore, there is another Come on, you can think this out. There's a higher authority. So if the Bible is not the highest authority, there is a higher authority. So the question is, where is that authority? And I want you to answer it with your generation. Where is that authority? Come on, guys, you know this. You've been taught this your whole life in school, in music, on the television, where is the highest authority? Where does it lie? In yourself, exactly. That's what you've been taught your whole life. The highest authority is me. Now, okay, do you ultimately know what you're saying then? You're God. That's, that's a pretty strong claim to make. And I just want that to sit on you and, and cause you to think about it because some of you are going to push back to what I'm teaching. And say, you know, this, this, is, this is ridiculous. There, there has to be a higher authority. And ultimately, where does it have to lie? It has to lie with you. Second thing, the Bible testifies its own authority. Secondly, the Bible testifies to its established nature. All right, does anybody know what's happening important in the United States this week? Happens every year when we're at camp. Anybody know? What? It's Pride Week. It's Thank you, this is generational. Generational, you're exactly right. There is something more important happening in the United States this week. It happens every year the last week of June. The Supreme Court hands down its decisions for the year. 
And they thought they would hand one down. Well, they did today. They ruled on something. It's not a full decision. It's a temporary decision. Um, uh, the liberal media be going crazy tonight. They upheld Trump's ban, uh, travel ban today. But this week, they'll hand down multiple rulings. Now, on the Supreme Court, there are two kinds of people. I'm not trying to bore you. This is important because this speaks to the way you think and the way our world thinks. There are two kinds of people on the Supreme Court. There are originalists, okay, originalists, and then, then there, are, there are those who believe that the Constitution is a living document. Now, this affects how they rule. Now, an originalist, what do you think an originalist means about the Constitution? That the Supreme Court rules based off what? What the Constitution says. So what it says is what it means. So what it says is what it means. So they rule based off what it says. So what it says is what it means. Then you have this group of people that it's a living document. Now, what do these people believe? So it changes so as the culture changes, as the world changes, then the Constitution is changed. We're to interpret it based off of our culture. Now, now I, I just want you to think about this. Let's forget the Bible for just a second. Let's just think about this culturally. We're a culture of laws. The, the highest authority of law in the country is the Supreme Court. If the Constitution is a living document that's moving, what's happening to our laws constantly? They're moving. They're changing. Now, eventually, what will happen to a culture that continues to do that? Chaos. If you've studied history, this has happened over and over again. All right. So what do you think originally influenced an originalist mindset? Where did that mindset come from? Where? Christianity. That's what was influence in the mindset. The influence of that there is a truth and there are things that are true and, and those things that you hold to and we hold to what something means and as we move away from it. So here's what's happening with some of you. Here's what's happening. This is already happening. You don't even know it's happening. It's not even consciously coming to your mind until I'm pointing it out here. Some of you, when you hear the Bible or you read the Bible, you're, you're seeing it's a living document like a Supreme Court justice. Well, this just means whatever I think it means. It means what I, what I, I, what I to me, this is what it means. What we want to focus on and understand is that the Bible has an established nature, that it means what it says. Psalm 118, 189. Psalm 119, 89. Forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. Is that an absolute truth statement? Yes. Forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. So I'm at Wake Forest with Dr. Smiley, who is ripping my faith out from underneath me. I mean, I, I, I'm just, I'm going back to my room going, is this even true? I mean, I, I staked my life on the Christian faith. Is this even true, man? I, I don't know. Is Dr. Smiley right? I, you know, I... I mean, there were emotional moments. I mean, I'm, I'm weeping in my hotel room. It wasn't because I was like weird or anything. I mean, my life was coming unraveled. I go home. I'm from Hickory, North Carolina. Hickory. When you call something Hickory, there might just be a few hicks there, all right? 
I go home for spring break or fall break. I don't remember which one it was. And I got home on Wednesday night. And I went to, back in the day, prayer meeting. And the pastor was gone. I was kind of depressed. And Wayne Young gets up to lead the Wednesday night Bible study. Now, Wayne puts the hick in hickory. Okay, he's a plumber. He has the thickest Hildebrand accent ever. And Wayne gets up and says, I want to talk tonight on Psalm 119.89. I didn't know that verse was in the Bible. And God took an ordinary plumber who didn't have a Ph.D. like Dr. Smiley in Old Testament. God took an ordinary plumber with his word and through the power of the Holy Spirit that night. God fixed in me what was already fixed. That this is the word of God. That it is firmly fixed in heaven. And, and, and since that point, it was a work of God. It wasn't a clear argument. <laughs> I wish I had a recording of it now. It was probably terrible. Okay? But God took it and took his word and applied it to my heart. Another Karudim quote. Everything stated in Scripture is, is there because God intended it to be there. God does not say anything unintentionally. Now, here's where Dr. Smiley ripped my feet out from under me one time. So those of you out there, you had a real high school, you like, those of you out there who really believe the Bible is true, and you read verses like Psalm 1989, I don't remember you use that verse. Do you not understand that the Bible is just talking about the Old Testament there? It's not talking about the New Testament. You can't claim that the New Testament is true. Oh, shoot. Thinking. All right. So are we a bunch of bogus liars? You know, we're, we got this New Testament over here and it's not true. The Bible testifies to, its, to the authority of the Old Testament and the New Testament. Now, this is important. What I'm going to show you right here, you better get this written down because this argument's coming back in college. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 15. And count the patience of the Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters and when he speaks in them of these matters. All right, give me, a, give me something Paul wrote in your Bible. Romans, all right. So Romans, Paul wrote that. Wrote a bunch of other things. So Paul wrote Romans. There are some things in them, I'm glad you picked Romans, there are some things in them that is what Paul wrote that are hard to understand. Amen. There are, is there some stuff Paul writes, you're like, what? I, okay, that was hard. We keep going. Which the ignorant and the unstable twist to their own destruction. Now here's what you look up here. Get this. Your unbelieving professors and friends at college who reject the Bible will pick some obscure verse and argue over it. Some whacked principle that they don't understand out of context and argue over it. That's what people do. They take the hard parts and they make arguments out of them. But watch this. They twist it to their own destruction. Now, here's, here's the punchline. As they do what? Other scriptures. So who's writing 1 Peter? 
Peter, who's Peter? Disciple, the apostle of Jesus. So Peter is writing now, and what is he saying about Paul's epistles? He's saying they're what? They're scripture. They're Bible. They're authority. There's God has spoken. Here's another verse you can go look it up. I'll just write this down for you. First, right, you write it down. 1 Timothy 5.18. It's going to quote scripture, and it's going to say that. Quoting scripture, and it's two verses in, put together. One is Deuteronomy 25.4, and the other is Luke 10.7. Go look it up. It's attesting to Old Testament and to New Testament. Next principle. The authority of scripture rests in the character and the nature of God himself. In hope of eternal life, which God who never lies promised before the ages began. So what's the truth about God's character here? God does not what? Lie. God does not lie. Turn to Hebrews 6.18. Hebrews 6.18. Hebrews 6.18 says, So that by two unchangeable things, that is the unchangeable character of his purpose and the, guarantee, and the oath that God gives in verse 17, by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to what? To lie. It is impossible for God to lie. Question, why? Why is it impossible for God to lie? Exactly. Do you hear what? Say it louder. If he lies, he's not God. Now, folks, the implications of what we're considering right now in this moment are massive. And this is what I understood in my Old Testament class. If this dude's right, Christianity's bogus. And I went to his office one day. That was the conclusion I came to. I said, Dr. Smiley, why have you based your life off of this? I mean, I'm, I'm teetering. Why would you spend your career teaching something that's a lie? Oh, you're misinterpreting what I'm saying. No, I'm not. I mean, if, if this thing's full of falsehood, why would anybody trust it? Well, that's why you need to come to my class uh, so you, could, you can discover what's actually true. All right, now that's scary. Why is that scary? Who's controlling now truth? Dr. Smiley. And listen. Any liberal whack that you're going to run into in the rest of your life is controlling truth. Anyone. And they're going to talk about people like me, you evangelicals who got it rammed down your throat at your church and your pastor made you believe this. And you feel real stupid sitting in the room. Don't you base anything off of anything I say, Matt Harris says, or any church you go to. Don't you base it off us. You find out what's in here, and you base it off this. Now, here's the problem with a lot of you in this room. This is strong. I'm going to say it strong, and I'm going to repeat this multiple times. The problem with a lot of you is you have no idea what's in here. And if I was teaching you falsehood, you wouldn't know the difference. That's scary. God doesn't lie. And if God did lie, he's not God. And if he's not God... Christianity is bogus. Now, I know for some of you that's a dangerous principle that I just laid out, but I'd rather discuss that with you than for you to answer Jesus to me when I ask you a question. I'd rather us get to the depths of what's really going on in your mind and heart and how you're dealing with things.
Last principle. The authority of Scripture demands utter dependence on the Holy Spirit. Dependence. I want you to circle three, well, four words. Three of them are the same word. We're going to read this. I want you to circle it because we're going to use this verse multiple times this week. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide. Circle that, guide. He will guide you into all the truth. Notice the definite article, the truth. He will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will, circle, declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare, there it is again, it to you. All that the Father has is mine, therefore I said that he will take what is mine and, there it is again, declare it to you. So here's the assumption of this text, and this is the assumption of this preacher. You will never figure it out on your own. Now, I want to say this to you right now, and I I, I hope, I hope, well, I trust you'll hear this. Say it right, Pastor. (laughs) If if you've been dealing with what I've been saying, if something's stirring inside of you while I've been speaking, it's not because I'm an effective speaker. You know know why it's happening? It's because the Holy Spirit is guiding and declaring to you while I am taking his word and speaking it to you. That's what's happening. It is the work of the Spirit of God. Only God can make you understand God's word. We are completely dependent on him. Grudem said, apart from the work of the Spirit of God, a person will not receive or accept the truth that the words of Scripture are in fact the words of God. So, how does this apply? What is the so what? The authority of Scripture demands two things. It demands our firm belief and allegiance. So if your word is truth, if that is true, if God's word is truth, then that demands I believe it. But that's not enough. Because the Bible is not just a series of truth claims that you go, oh yeah, I believe that. It's also a series of commands that affect your life that require action and allegiance and adhering. Now, here's what's happening. I want you to write two columns at the bottom of your page right there. So I got two columns. See them right here? Write unbelieving responses. You can't read my chicken scratch unbelieving responses on the right side write believing responses unbelieving responses believing responses so here the bible defines multiple unbelieving responses number one to reject so an unbelieving response to god's word is to reject it where is the first account of god's word being rejected where is it? What'd you say? Adam and Eve. Exactly right. Genesis chapter 3. It's a rejection. You can read it. Verses 1 through 6. They reject what God has said. So that means they knew what God said. They actually believed what God said on a level, 
but they rejected it in an attitude of unbelief. Second unbelieving response is ridicule. Ridicule. 2 Peter chapter 3, 1 through 3. I'll get made fun of this week. That's okay. I don't care. I really don't. I'm way over that. I'm too old to care. All right? So doesn't, 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 doesn't matter to me anymore. Uh, some of you grew small group leaders, get over it. They're going to make fun of you. Okay? Some of you Christian students are going to try to talk about your faith this week. Some people are going to make fun of you. You know what's going to happen when you go back to school. Get over it. It's a part of an unbelieving response is to scoff, to ridicule. That's in 2 Peter chapter 3, 1 through 3. Third, third, this unbelieving response is going on everywhere. It's to remake. You say, what do you mean, preacher? 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3. In the last days, people will gather for themselves preachers who will say what they're Itching ears want to hear. In other words, in other words, redefine the Bible for us. Say it in a way that would say it. Tell me a place where in the last five years the church has abandoned the scripture and gave into the world and said, This is what the Bible actually means. Tell me. Come on, guys. There's signs all over Gastonia to this effect. That homosexuality is not a sin. It's okay. God really didn't mean that. That's not really what he meant. It's really okay. So it's what people want. People want us to redefine as the world redefines and we redefine it. In a, that's an unbelieving response. So what are the believing responses? Number one, that you would adhere. The, all these responses are in Psalm 119. I'm going to let you look these up on your own. I'm intentionally not turning to them. Psalm 119.31, that we adhere to, we hold to the Bible. Number two, that we would affirm the Bible. Psalm 119, 144, that we affirm that this is true with our lips. Number three, this is the opposite of remake. We align. A believing response is to align ourselves. So look up here. A bunch of you Parkwood kids and you non-Parkwood folks, you're new. I don't know anything about you yet. I love you. Glad you're here. I'm sure you're not going to do this. But there's some kids who've been at Parkwood their whole life who've heard the baseline of what I'm teaching their whole life who your unbelieving response is, you don't adhere. You, you don't align. In fact, you unalign. That is unbelief. Ultimately, you're saying, this isn't true. I don't really believe this God who spoke here. This is not what God is saying to me. Because here's what the trick you're playing in your brain. That's just what Jeff said. This is what Jeff said. He's just a fundamentalist preacher. This is what he said. That's what Matt said. That's what my mom said. You hear me. If God said it, you got a whole other issue. A whole complete different issue. And that's what I want you to come face to face with. Is this what God has said? Now, this book, I bought it when it first came out. This is the one, if you're going to buy a book this week, you need to buy this one. And if you want to hold out, I'm going to do book giveaways multiple times, you know, little, little games we'll play, little tests. You need to buy this one, Taking God at His Word. It's by Kevin DeYoung. 
I'm going to read what Kevin says here, and then we're going to, then we're going to pray. I've got to put my glasses on because I'm old. Here we go. God then does not profess to answer in Scripture all the questions that we, in our boundless curiosity, would ask about Scripture. Do you get that? He doesn't answer them all. He tells us merely as much as he sees we need to know as a basis for our life of faith. He leaves unsolved some of the problems raised by what he tells us in order to teach us a humble trust in his truth. The question, therefore, that we must ask ourselves when faced with these puzzles is not, is it reasonable to imagine that this is so, but is it reasonable to accept God's assurance that this is so? Is it reasonable to take God's word and believe that he has spoken the truth, even though I cannot fully comprehend what he's saying? The question carries its own answer. We should not abandon faith in anything God has taught us because we cannot solve all the problems it raises for us. Our intellectual competence is not the test and the measure of divine truth. I'm going to repeat that one more time. Our intellectual competence is not the test and the measure of divine truth. It is not for us to stop believing because we lack understanding, but to believe in order to understand. It's not that we stop believing because we lack understanding, but to believe in order that we might understand. I want you to bow your head with me as I pray for you. Now, I know you just got here, and I already know what the response is going to be for some people. Man, that was heavy. I didn't come for that. I I thought this was going to be a whole lot lighter. While your head's bowed there and I'm not catching eyes with you, I just want to say to you, I love you enough not to be stupid with you. I love you enough not to play games with you this week. I love you enough to raise these core issues that are under the surface that everybody's scared to talk about. And here's the question I want to ask yourself. Does my life more reflect the unbelieving response column or the believing response column? My prayer for this week for you is not that you can fill in the blanks and rattle off Jesus' answers to our questions. My prayer for you is that you would come to a firm belief and allegiance to the Bible. And here's what I would just say to yourself as you pray. God, show me where that's not true. So Lord, as we bow before you both young person and adult in this room. We recognize that even though we can hold a theological truth up and say that's right, that when we really look underneath what's inside of us as to whether we adhere to and whether we affirm and align our lives, that really speaks to what we believe. So God, I pray that you would do what only you can do. That you would guide us 
and declare to us. And that you would do a work in us to shore up a foundation in the hearts of wives of these young men and women that won't just prepare them for college, but that will prepare them for life. And I plead this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.